especially like the Egyptian move there at the end. That was <laughs> biblical. <laughs> hey, buddy. Uh, that just proved a couple things. Um, first of all, uh, a child has memorized much more scripture than many of you. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? And, and secondly, what we just saw proves how critical it is that you and I take this season very serious. I overheard a conversation today in Quick Trip. Any Quick Trip fans? They're Long Johns. I'm going to tell you, the best donuts created in the world. And I've had them all. Um, these guys, uh, three men, were talking outside of Quick Trip. And I, uh, I, I passed by and then I hovered. Have you guys ever hovered a conversation because you're interested? And the one guy said this. He's like, yeah, every month I set aside $300 in my savings account that my wife doesn't know about. And he said, I know that divorce is inevitable. And so I'm just preparing to pay the child support in advance. And, um, and the other guys were like congratulating him on his wit on doing that. And, and that definitely intrigued me. And so I was curious on what these morons uh, would have to say otherwise. And um, so I listened in and this is what they said about Christmas. They said, it's a good thing that our culture celebrates Christmas because without it, there would be no family happiness. And, and they're all like, it was like almost deep for him, you know? And I saw like the other guys, they were like, wow, like that. And it was, it's not profound at all for you and I, but for them, like that was brilliant. And I just sat there thinking about what our culture thinks about Christmas. And I see how Christians have tried to morph that by saying Jesus is the reason for the season. For the first time in all my life, that statement has very much bothered me. Because it proves how compartmentalized we are. I saw the bumper sticker, and it's true. Jesus is the reason for the season. But he's the reason for the 26th as well, and the 27th and the 28th. In fact, he's the reason for everything. But we, have Christ, we as Christians have tried to battle how culture has wrongly celebrated this. And we've come up with a catchy catchphrase that Amy Grant probably, you know, did three songs to. Right? No offense, Mom. I love her too. Right? And, th and then for us, we just say like, Jesus is the reason for the season. Listen, he's the reason for everything. And if we can teach our children, if we can relearn ourselves and rid of the baggage and repent that he, in fact, is in control and that Christmas is the opportunity to celebrate something special, then we've missed it. My question is, what is it that makes this so special? Every year, here's what I do. I just, I just read all of the accounts of the Christmas story. Every year, just read them, read them, read them. And it, it's proven true the last five or six years, there's been one or two statements that have, that has just grabbed me. And this year, my friends, I was reading through the account of Matthew chapter one and was so gripped by one statement in Matthew chapter one that I want to share it with you tonight. So put up Matthew chapter one for me. Verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been 
betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, let's do a little explaining here. Uh, we have the, an, an understanding in our culture of marriage, but let me, let me explain the Jewish marriage concept. There are two different phases to Jewish marriage. The first is called Kedishna. Kedishna lasts anywhere between six and 12 months, and it's the, the betrothal, the engagement period for a Jew. Now, the difference is from our culture is when you're engaged or betrothed or in this Kedishna time period, it's as if you were married. There's a, there's a binding contract. You have, um, you have a covenant that's already begun with, uh, with you. There's, um, you have to break it. I mean, it's taken very seriously. The marriage hasn't been consecrated physically. In fact, oftentimes just face-to-face contact in that time period is minimal, which is much different than our culture. But it's taken very, very serious. You can read more about that in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And and you'll you'll notice in verse 18 why it says, before they came together. That's talking about the consecration. They haven't yet consecrated the marriage. And Mary has been found to be with child that's been given her by the Holy Spirit. Now listen. What I want you to do tonight. And and we've all been there because we've seen the felt boards. Okay. We've seen all the interpretations of from VBS to all the major productions, I want you to feel the heart of Joseph just for a moment with me, can you? Look at this, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Well, after the period of marriage moves from the Kadishna to the Nishnia, that's the period that it, it becomes official Well, Mary and Joseph are in the beginning period. And the way you divorce a woman in ancient Jewish times, there's only two options. The one, you desire to shame her because if she's committed adultery, then she is deserving of shame, per se. And so you can take her to court. So the court can commit, can say, yes, she did commit adultery. And then she is forever shamed. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, do you know the penalty for committing adultery in the period of Kedishna? Any Yeah, it's death. Now, Joseph being a, what's the scripture? A a what man? A just man and unwilling to divorce her that way has taken a different approach. For Joseph, you see, listen, he loves this girl. He cares about her. And just hang with me, would you? Some of you have been in love. Some of you are in love. Some of you are in the process of being in love. Okay. You know what that feels like. Joseph had all of the hopes in the world to marry this woman. And then Joseph finds out that she is with child. As a man, imagine your reaction. Okay? Imagine what you would feel if you found out that you know you haven't consecrated your marriage, but your wife is with child. Can you feel that a little bit? I know some of you aren't angry people, but can you see yourself getting angry in that moment? Can you feel the rage? Can you feel the passion? But the scripture uses the word just. Now the word just refers mostly to an individual being a pious 
Jew. He was a good Jew, a follower of the scripture. And so he takes the high road, the humble road here, and he wants to divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to shame her. That's how much love, that's how much he cares. He could bring her out. And even though the the law had gotten a little bit lax, especially due to the Pharisees, they probably wouldn't have stoned her at this point. But they know the severity of it. Feel it. Joseph. All of the angst. All of the turmoil. But as he considered these things, now here's what happens. Joseph, with all of these things on his mind, he's going to go to bed or take a nap at least. Have you ever tried to sleep when you've had like the weight of the world on you? You just found out some horrible news. You just went through a tumultuous day. You've just discovered something. Have have you ever laid your head on the pillow considering all that the day had brought? That's what Joseph is going through. He's on the brink of losing the woman that he cared about. He's trying to struggle with doing what he considers to be the right thing. And he lays his head on the pillow, considering in angst all the things that had happened. The scripture says this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Any of you ever had a dream with an angel in it? It gets interesting fast, doesn't it? Apparently, I'm the only one that's... I don't consider mine necessarily being from the Lord, but in this case, it certainly was. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. There have been many comedians, including Jim Gaffigan, who have made fun of this moment, who have tried to depict... Joseph hearing that it's from the Holy Spirit and Joseph saying something like, yeah, right. An angel says, God, through his spirit, has impregnated your wife. But, but it's this next line. It's this next phrase that has grabbed me. She will bear a son and you shall call his name, what? Jesus For he will save his people from their sins. In a dream, Joseph hears and sees an angel saying, For he will save who? His people from their sins. Now, skip forward to the end of the story. He wakes up from the dream and he goes and he takes Mary as his wife. And the scripture says that he waits to be with her. In other words, they don't consecrate the marriage until after Christ comes, which again shows that he, he's wanting to take the holy route through this. But before he wakes up, he hears a line in scripture that is only said here. For he will save them from their sins. No other place in scripture is that phrase said in that way. Now, um, for me, it was like this. So we, we grew up drinking water. I see some of you guys like, you know, taking a drink. Water's good, right? You guys like water? Good. All three of us are somewhat healthy and, um, I'm actually not a big fan, you know? And then we came out with bottled water and it was like, Hey, let's sell tap water. That'll be a great idea. I wish I would have thought of it. We could, you know, Matthias lot water would have been awesome. But, but we grow up drinking water. 
And, and so we drink it and we drink it and we drink it. And it becomes routine. And personally, I don't like the taste. But Diet Coke is much better. Earlier Mountain Dew, though, my sinful days. But Check this out. Check this out. Every once in a while, the same drink you take from the same cup with the same substance, it's like it couldn't be any better. You know what I'm saying? It's like every once in a while, maybe it's because you're that parched or it's, or it's because you've become hardened or be, whatever. All of a sudden, the water tastes like gold. Have you ever had that moment? Maybe you've been exercising all day or whatever, and it's this phrase has been that drink of water for me. I know it. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've seen it depicted. I know that it's the gospel. But this phrase for me, this Christmas, has taken the focus off of my personal connection with Christ and on the communal connection that Christ through His birth and eventual death would have on His children. You see the plural form of this verse? He will save His people from their sin. It's not just me in my little world that He has saved. His grace is so much deeper, is so much wider, is so much richer than my simple, depraved self. And we are a testimony to that. Here we sit, many of us saved because Christ was born to die. We communally can celebrate what the angel told Joseph. Our struggle is we hear it so much. It's just like the normal routine of water. What if for just a few moments in time, this Christmas, that statement could be like the fresh breath of air? Could be the thing that we yearn to worship a holy God because He came to save His people, His children, His chosen from their sin. My friends, if my kids can get that, if they can be reminded of what the angel told Joseph, then Christmas became, becomes way more than just the birth of Jesus. Listen, to Joseph, what would that statement have meant? He will save them from their sins. Have you ever thought about that? He's a pious Jew. Sin is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. He, like Mary says, this is the Messiah. And even though all the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other kind of seas had been waiting on it too, friends, some would get to see in fact that He was. You can see the fact that the Messiah had come to die. Now, I recognize for us, I can't make that happen in you. I can't make you look at that and say, God, thank you for your word. I can't make that happen in you. But here's what we can do. We can pray for it. We have never at Matthias had an opportunity for families to respond. I think for many of you, even though you go to church and even though you participate in worship gatherings of all kind, 
the true Christmas story of Christ coming, born to die, is like, is like a candle that isn't lit. I mean, it has potential. But it's just become routine. Even the Christian piece of it. It's just routine. Sing the songs. Do the deal. Up, down. Christian jumping jacks. Everyone's happy. It's become routine for you. My sentiment is, when that doesn't become routine, then for you and your family and your friends, it becomes worship. No, He came to save them from their sins. The church. It's way bigger than just me and my little bubble and my family's bubble. It's the communal move of Christ. And so tonight, as a family, you, your kids, maybe you, your grandkids, maybe friends you came with, maybe it's just you, whatever it looks like tonight, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to come and grab one of the candles that's on this frame. And I want you, as we worship, to find a place in this room where you can take your family and you can look at this unlit candle and you can together as a family pray that God would ignite your souls, all of your souls, with a true refreshment of the power of the gospel. And then as a family or as a friend network or whatever it looks like for you, you take this candle back And you light it from one of these candles which represents the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And you, in a hopeful expectation that God will answer your prayer, you light that candle and you set it back and you wait this Christmas for God to ignite your passion for the fact that He is the Savior of sin and not just some baby. We have to fight the culture. We have to fight the Christian culture. We tonight have an opportunity to be the church. Let's pray.